Hey, what's going on? This is uh, Jeremy Thone, Marketing Director of 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. I'm excited to share a story with Paul Jaroslawski. He is the founder of the Freight Caviar, which is an awesome name, mainly because it's got like the juxtaposition of freight, which is not exactly sexy, and then caviar, which is kind of high end. So it's got this like nice ring to it. But uh, Paul started Freight Caviar on Instagram and amassed 20,000 followers, now has some sponsorships for his Instagram stories and then also ended up getting a job opportunity as a result of starting Freight Caviar. We also get into Paul living in the Ukraine and uh, at the moment he actually lives in Poland so he's pretty aware of everything going on within uh, Ukraine right now with the war and it was really interesting because getting to hear some of the stories about one of his friend's dads that had to stay back and fight because of martial law and then also some other friends that were delivering food aid into the country risking their lives basically to help deliver aid into the country i hope you enjoy this episode hey paul uh thanks for coming on to 3pl live i'm stoked to talk to you i know that you have lived in poland and kiev and the ukraine and then you started a company called freight caviar so i just wanted to get a little bit of background on you i started working for a freight brokerage in, in lincoln uh sorry not only it was in lincolnwood illinois that was my first job in lincolnwood illinois and then i got i i switched jobs and i started working for everest in evanston illinois mm. which is a suburb of Chicago, just north of Chicago. And they, they opened up an office in, in Kiev, Ukraine in 2017. And they, they asked me if I wanted to go to move to, to Ukraine to, to run an operation out there. And I was like, I jumped on the idea and they sent me out to Ukraine in November, 2017 is when I, when I came out there. Wow. That's fascinating. I do want to talk to you more about Ukraine too here in just a little bit. Is there, is there a lot of freight brokers in Ukraine or Eastern Europe or how, explain how that works in this? Uh, definitely. I mean, Chicago is like the hub for, uh, I guess, transportation in America, just because it's in the, it's the largest city in, in the middle. It doesn't have a port. It's the largest city without a port, essentially. So uh, everything has to move via truck. And so what, what happens is you have all these Eastern Europeans immigrating to, to Chicago, being a truck driver or being a dispatcher. It's a good paying job overall. So a lot of these people they uh, that immigrated, they 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 opened up, you know, some trucking company or they, they were a truck driver. And then they after a while they ended up outsourcing their jobs to their homeland. So since Chicago is just a melting pot of all Eastern European nationalities, basically like there there's offices. Well, there are a lot of offices in Ukraine. Macedonia, Serbia, Bulgaria, Romania. There's a few in Poland. There's a lot in Lithuania. If you're a truck driver from Macedonia who, who's driving in America, you'd rather have your dispatcher who speaks your language be giving you loads. And it's even better if they're in their home country so they can make some money because, you know, the average salaries in a lot of these Eastern European countries are very low. It's a good place to outsource. So a lot of, a lot of people have been outsourcing in recent years to, to Eastern Europe. Interesting. So they're actually still working with American companies, but they're just sort of like back office type situations. Just outsourcing. Yeah. It just like they, you, you get like a ring central phone number. So I have, I have an American phone number through Wi-Fi. I pay 40 bucks a month for it and I have an American phone number. And then on top of that, all you need is DAT access and you're essentially, you're in America. You don't need anything else. Right. So. Sure. It's interesting too. Cause I, I started following you on LinkedIn and freight caviar, to be honest, I didn't, I 
I've heard of you, but I didn't ever go onto your Instagram page and you have some really funny content on there. <laughs> I saw a piece of content the other day that you posted of like Putin and it said something to the effect of like this, this freight was supposed to be delivered, but it got caught on fire, something to that effect, which I thought yeah. was pretty, pretty hilarious. How did you get into the, the memes and, and, and I had no idea that there would be such a market for that either, which was interesting because I, I would have never have guessed. How did that all start? Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny. I... I quit my job at Everest in October 2020, and I had like three weeks in Ukraine before I moved to Poland. Mm -hmm. uh, and in that meantime, like I just I just had knee surgery, so I was spending a lot of time like chilling on the couch, going to the gym, doing some kind of exercise. And one day when I was leaving uh, the gym, like an idea popped into my brain, just to like I'm gonna I was like I'm gonna create a, a meme account for Instagram because there's a few other freight meme accounts out there. So I wasn't like the first one to do it, but. I, I was like, okay, I'm going to get 10,000 followers within 10 months. That's like my goal. And I, I did it. I, I got the 10,000 followers within 10 months. And then I just became like more and more popular. I was more putting out more and more content. I, I was supposed to open my own freight brokerage. And I honestly was spending all my time doing freight caviar. I just loved, loved it. And I, I liked interacting with people. I get hundreds of messages like daily. And then I ended up making a LinkedIn. I made a LinkedIn in October, but I had two posts go viral. I, I have like 6,400 followers on LinkedIn now. So it's, and then I, I do YouTube. I do a daily freight caviar podcast. I, a lot of stuff just started like, it all stemmed from my Instagram account. Interesting. Which, yeah, yeah. I saw you have 20,000 followers on there right now, which is impressive. So how did you get to 10 and then to 20? Cause that seems like just pretty crazy. It's pretty, how, how did you uh, make that happen? Like, what were you, what were you doing? So there's, there's a few other Instagram accounts that had like, I think they have like 15,000 followers, freight meme accounts. Uh, they're not very active though. Um, what I would do is I would just go follow every single person because uh, you could you could follow up to 200 accounts daily on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I would follow 200 accounts daily from those people while making content. From those, let's say 200 people that I follow, I would have like a 40% conversion rate because they, you know, I'd, I'd follow these people. They would see my name pop up on their Instagram. And then they would be directed to my page. You'll see some memes. They might think they're funny and they would follow me. So I did that for like a year or so. Yeah, I did that for like about a year. And then I, I don't do it anymore. Now I just post stuff and like people share it. And then I get more followers because people are sharing my content. It was kind of annoying, but I, I made sure that I did it every day where I would follow 200 people. And then I also have to unfollow them a few weeks later on because there's actually, a, you can only follow 7,500 people on Instagram. And then Instagram like blocks, you can't follow more people. My, my come up was kind of like first funny content. People like funny content to do with logistics. And then second thing was following all these accounts and logistics, basically spamming people with my name to a point where it wasn't to a point where like I got enough popular where I don't have to do it anymore. Like I don't. Yeah. So that's, that's, that was like my strategy behind it. It's really interesting too. Cause I, I, I find the freight industry to be a little bit. Besides that, you know, you're hilarious. I, I've seen your account now, crack me up. And then I get like Dooner, right? From like Freight Waves. He's pretty funny. Like he posted something yesterday of him and Michael Vincent, like w looking at their watches, like making fun of like North Korea. And I thought it was hilarious, yeah. but it's just funny. Cause like, I don't really see like a whole lot of people with like that much personality. It just seems like there's probably a, a market for it, but I think a lot of people are probably like, oh, this is a very conservative, boring industry. And like, I, I don't want to put myself out there. I don't, did yeah. you have any of that at first, just out of curiosity? Oh, for sure. I, I still have it to a certain extent. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, like the kind of influence that I've had because now like Freightways is starting like back the truck up. 
uh, which is like kind of like a twist. Like they're trying to become the Barstool Sports like freight, make a Barstool Sports freight back to truck up. But it's like I've always been trying to do the bars. Been I've been always been trying to be like the Barstool Sports of freight with freight caviar. That's like what I've been trying to do. And I write articles for Freightways, and uh, they actually they wanted me to to sign up on their uh, back to truck up to be part of. Uh, well, that'd the be team. cool. Yeah, well, I actually had two job offers. I got two job offers in one day. I didn't, I didn't even, I wasn't even looking for a job, to be honest. I was like, but I got two job offers in one day and I ended up going with Warp, uh, where I'm like doing the head of content marketing now. I just felt like it would be more of a role where I could learn more from it. Whereas Bag of Truck Up was more like just kind of making memes. It's like, well, I already do that now. So like, I'm kind of learning more like the ins and outs of marketing. The reason why I got my job, this job was because of Freight Caviar. Because the owners like free caviar and they, they wanted me to to work do marketing for them. So, but it's funny because like there's a few other people that make you know memes and like um had and I've had success with it. Uh, there's definitely uh, some people that you know are maybe old school and conservative and don't really like it. I feel like we're coming to a point now where there's a huge opportunity right now. That's not going to exist soon after, just because it's going to be probably over too crowded. Sure. But coming up with good content, it's funny and controversial in certain points definitely will get be engaging I, I would say no matter what no matter what day or, or time i also went to armenia uh back in november just like double broker and capital of the world and i filmed some content out there i kind of got in trouble so i i did some stuff that's like that no one really does i guess that's why people like also like when i went to armenia that was kind of that was like a popular trip is that how the name came up, Freight Caviar? Because it was fishy, I heard, like in another interview. Is that is that how uh, that came up? Or, like the freight industry somewhat. is fishy? Uh, I mean, it's funny because I used to be shipping pallets. That was like my name when I, like, and it's just like yeah. super simple shipping pallets. I had that username for like six months. And then like one day I was I was just listening to the rap caviar playlist on, on Spotify. I was just thinking for a second, like, oh, Freight Caviar sounds amazing. Like, it is a dope name. Stuff. Cause it's yeah, so, so like, like, it's so juxtaposition cause freight is not sexy in caviars high end. Yeah. And then I call my good friend who also lives in Poland. He's from Chicago as well. Like logistics background. And I, I call him up like, Tom, what do you think of freight caviar? He's like, Paul, you got to change your name to freight caviar. Like that ex- exemplifies basically all that you do. You're from, we're in Eastern Europe. Caviar is like Eastern European. Cav- it's like kind of like humor in a way. And it's like freight caviar essentially just perfectly defines what I do, if you look at my page. So like, yeah, I, I, I will never change my name. But funny thing is when I changed my username for shipping pallets to free caviar, almost everyone, I, I had like 5,000 followers at that time. Everyone's like, Paul, what are you doing? Like shipping pallets is so much better. And I put an Instagram poll on, on Instagram and I was like, which, which name do you prefer? Out of a thousand votes, people chose shipping pallets. Interesting. And that just, that just shows that people like, but I, I would say when you look at, uh, Jeremy, when you look at, Apple updates or updates like on like software, I, like the first reaction is usually like backlash. Like I, I like the old version. I like mm. the, and then after, yeah, after <laughs> a few weeks when you get used to like the whole, the name or the system, people like it more. They were, they were just used to it. So that's why like, and I just trusted my gut on it. I was like, this is a hundred percent great chapter. I don't care what anyone says. That's a badass name. I, I really like the name. I think it's probably one of the better names I've heard in, in this industry to be Thanks. completely Thanks. completely honest. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I'd like to talk to you a little bit too about, well, actually, before I get into, I guess, what's going on in Ukraine, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about your opportunities that you've created since you started creating content. You'd mentioned like the thing with uh, Freight Waves and then also your your current role. 
So would you say that you've had a lot more opportunities as a result of doing this social media? Oh, totally. 100%. I feel like I was in like, if, if I were to go back to like October, 2020, when I just quit my job, no one knew me. No one knew of me. Uh, the podcast definitely helps too. Being on Fridays, I've been on Fridays a few times, that helps. But I've become kind of like, I don't know, an influencer of some sort in the industry, which is like funny. It really is because like people, like I, I had this, I had a podcast like a week ago. The person's like, oh, I can't believe I'm talking to Freak Out here. I'm like, like, what do you mean? Like, what? Like, you know, like <laughs> I'm like, I, I would never, ever like, I don't think of myself as like, you know, being any different than anyone else. I just have a dope Instagram account. But in terms of opportunities, yeah, I, I get job opportunities all the time. And like people want to do advertising and promotional stuff. So I make money on, on the side just from free caviar, like doing advertisements, like to a point where I could literally be, be living off of that alone. So that's what's really nice for me. It's like I have steady income from free caviar, which I don't think is going to disappear unless my account disappears, which I hope Instagram doesn't block <laughs> me. I've, I've had a few warnings so far. And I, uh, <laughs> But yeah, so like I, I make money off of it and I've had a lot more opportunities. People offer me jobs uh, like left and right, honestly. That's awesome. How do you make yeah. or the sponsorships? How do you know what's like charge or how do you go about that? Just out of curiosity as a content creator, because I know like YouTube, like you have, they have like those sponsorships within like, because they, they take care of that part. But you as a business owner, I guess, how do you know like what to charge? And you got to kind of make your own prices and at the same time, you're kind of have to like, figure out how the market works. You know, I've probably given some people prices where they're like, yeah, definitely not. And like, goodbye, like kind of, you know, but sure. I'd rather charge a higher price and get, tell, have them tell me no than charge a lower price. But I mean, if you want to post like an Instagram story advertisement, I'll take a hundred dollars. If you want to post a post in a story, I'll take $200 and I'll probably make a thousand dollars a month off of Instagram just doing that. So I don't, I don't like to be spammy. I know some accounts like to like $25 and stuff. Well, yeah, if I could get people to pay me 25 bucks each day to do like a story, but I'd rather have one person paying me $100 per week or $200 per week to do it than four or five different companies paying me 25 bucks. So I, I, uh, I definitely try to not be spammy in terms of that, but I also have like a sponsorship through my email newsletter, LinkedIn, my YouTube podcast and all that stuff. So like it really, uh, it's a little bit of, I don't know, I guess, negotiation for like the, the long-term packages. But if, if you just want like a one-off like Instagram story, it's a hundred dollars, $200 for Instagram story and posts. So I, I keep it simple and I don't really negotiate if people like complain. I'm like, well, most people are willing to pay that, especially yeah. if they've been following me for a while and they like me. I mean, I think it's totally worth it. Uh, it depends on what they want it, what they're seeking. But. What do they want? They just want like a quick, like 15 second story or something like that of their company or? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. Uh, sometimes it's a story, a quick story. Sometimes it's like an, an advertisement for like an insurance broker or sometimes they want someone to sign up for their their new tech email newsletter where they're giving updates on their on their free tech there's there's a few like ways around i know like there's one company that i'm talking to right now that they want me to just post a story he offers a dispatch service and he wants me to do it weekly for him for like two months so yeah i like the i like those kind of agreements yeah, that's cool because okay. it's like consistent and it works yeah. with your with your audience and whatnot. Exactly. Uh, I also wanted to get in a little bit about what's going on in like Ukraine and uh, you know just the whole war and whatnot. So you'd mentioned you, I think I heard somewhere that you lived in Kiev before, and I'd never even like known much about Kiev until the last two months when all this stuff was going on. And 
what, like what, what's your perspective on like what's going on over there? Like why why is uh, Putin wanting this area so bad? Well, yeah. So I lived in I lived in Kiev for three years in Ukraine uh, from November 2017 to November 2020. As I mean, as you probably know, like Ukraine has been kind of at war for the last eight years. In Donetsk uh, and Luhansk, is that you? Historically speaking and politically speaking, it's been a contested area. And is it because of NATO? Why he's doing it? I mean, it's it's it's. <laughs> I mean, it's politics, and it's 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 definitely uh, to do with with history. I mean, Ukraine was part of the USSR for for many years, and they they've had a rough history together. Uh, and but at the same time, like a lot of Russians moved to Ukraine um, and lived there for for many years. So, like I know a lot of people that had like grandparents that are Russian or had, you know, some, some kind of relative that's Russian and, or have, or they currently have a family member that lives in Russia. So there are like ties like between them. And when I lived in Kiev, uh, most people spoke Russian uh, and uh, you go to, you go to the Western part of Ukraine and that's where everyone spoke Ukrainian. And that's where people actually were upset if he spoke Russian to them. Whereas like, if you go to Kiev and go eastward or south to Odessa, like, like the everyone for the most part spoke Russian, and Russia's had a big influence on the area um, for a long period of time. And the fact that Ukraine wanted to be part of uh, the EU, part of NATO, uh, that kind of just like was, I guess, angering Russia from like a standpoint where they don't they want. Ukraine to be aligned with with Russia like Belarus is mm-hmm. they don't want Ukraine to have their freedom because Putin just kind of seems a little bit paranoid uh, about NATO I'm not sure if that's just using it as an excuse or if like he definitely wants that land because he, he probably feels like it's it's Russian land and it's I mean it's obviously creating an awful situ- situation no, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm just curious from your perspective just because you were there and I think it's so relevant with what's what's going on right now. I'm looking at a map right now, and you could see that you could see why he wanted Crimea because it's like in, in the Black Sea, and I could see why he also wants like Mariupol and Odessa, some of these areas down on because that that probably has some some ships and cargo coming in, right? For it's part of the logistics, I guess, of that area. It seems like the that South Sea, the Black Sea. Yeah, I mean they've they've had uh, issues with the Azov Sea, which is. Uh... If you, if you go to Crimea, there's Black Sea and there's the Azov Sea. So they've, they've already had some disputes over that for the last eight years uh, where like Ukrainian ships were being bullied by the Russian ships. Odessa, I love Odessa. I spent a whole month of May in 2020 there and it's one of my favorite cities in the world. If, if you were to look at a historical standpoint, a lot of these lands, you know, they were there's a lot of Russians living at these areas for some time. You definitely want to landlock like Putin would want to landlock Ukraine to, to a certain degree. Definitely have maintain control over the ports, not only because of logistics, but also because militarily he could, you know, have a he could have his own navy out there and protect, you know, to protect it. Right when he took over Crimea, like it just became like a military center point for him. Like he started installing a bunch of like missiles and I mean it's an interesting topic like you know it is politics but overall the, like the people that live there like in Odessa and like Putin claims that like these are old Russian lands and these the people need to be freed from Ukrainian rule, rule. but like no one in Odessa maybe like there's like five percent or ten percent of the population would ever want to exist with live with Russia 
or yeah. be, I mean, not live with Russia, but be part of Russia. It's a sticky yeah, I mean, situation. It seems like <clears throat> these people want to be their own. I mean, I, I was watching something Sean Penn, actually, of all people, was recommending some video called like <clears throat> Winter in Ukraine. Winter on Fire? Winter on or, Fire, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah when, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I watched that, and that was pretty fascinating to see these people's, the Ukrainians resolve against, they were getting their, their asses kicked by the, you know, at that time it wasn't a, democratic leader it was someone that was more i can't remember the guy's name but he was more aligned with like the east and putin yep. and they're kicking the crap out of these people like in in the city or the maiden square it seems like they've had a like a history of like wanting to i mean it seems like they, they've experienced this before is that is that what you were gathering as well oh yeah totally i mean they've been experiencing it endlessly like it's like uh, a century ago there was like the Holdemore genocide where Stalin basically starved the Ukrainian population and there's dead bodies everywhere, like millions of people died. So, I mean, history just repeats itself and Ukraine has been a, just in a really difficult geographical location where it's always been kind of picked on and uh, it's, it hasn't had, like they've always been ha having to fight for freedom. It seems like they have like periods of time where there's peace and then periods of war or, or genocide. So it's, it's just history repeating itself, unfortunately. Yeah, you had an article actually too. I mean, I wouldn't mind talking about this in Freight Waves. It was talking about three people that you knew over in Ukraine. There was, um, you wrote about someone named Alex, Vicky, and then Eli. Do you remember like any of those stories from, I guess, that, that Freight Waves article? Like what was going on to some of your friends in like Ukraine that were hit by this personal? With running a freight brokerage in, in Ukraine, I, I became close with a lot of people that worked in the US logistics market from Ukraine. So, I mean, Alex, he started driving like food shipments from like the Western part of Ukraine to the capital. Very dangerous, especially a few weeks ago. He was doing it uh, during so the war too, or? Yeah. I mean, this was, this was like the beginning of the war. He started doing wow. this like, yeah, like when it was like very dangerous, like bombs were flying everywhere. And then Vicky, so Vicky, uh, she worked with me and she was my first hire at Everest and she sat next to me for three years. It's beautiful, smart, girl so she she and her family they fled the day the war began and it took them about like 30 hours to they were on the border with romania for like 30 hours trying to cross that's so scary and, sitting there sorry? i said that's so scary sitting there it seems like you're sitting duck like at any point you oh. know a shelling could hit you or whatever so the borders are actually safe so okay. like when you're like i mean in, in terms of the western part western part of ukraine has hasn't really uh, felt the war. I mean, there's been a few targets that have been hit, uh, but overall, like Western Ukraine is now like, it's not what Russia is currently trying to, to get. Like they were safe over there, but it still kind of leads to like, maybe at that point they weren't, weren't sure yet, right? Because it was just like the second day of war, but now it's, it's pretty safe. But yeah, so her dad is 58 and they announced martial law like a few hours beforehand and he wasn't able to cross the border. Because oh, if you're a male between 18 and 60, you can't cross the border. That's crazy. So, That's got to be really hard on families. It's like a lot of broken families with the men. And it looks oh, yeah. like some women too, actually fighting as well. When I was reading some yeah. of these articles, like remember, I remember seeing like a, a couple that basically just got married. It was posted on CNN and they were fighting in Ukraine, which I thought it's just been very inspiring to see these people's resolve and to see 
they're outnumbered, but they're still just putting up a, a fight through like like Molotov cocktails or just whatever they can. In the western part, would that oh, be like Lviv? Is that is that kind of the area that a lot of people probably go to? Or is it? I don't know how you pronounce it. Is it Lviv? Is that kind of uh, like a safer area than than? Yeah. So Lviv, yeah. There's a lot of people that go to Lviv. I, I live like three hours away by drive to Lviv, so I'm like fairly close to it. But yeah, a lot of people go to Lviv. It seems like Lviv's been kind of like a safe, safe place for now. Yeah, it's interesting. So is what's your thoughts? I, I, know, I know no one knows, but do you think that this is going to last for a while? Or do you think that it seems like he's like what I was reading last is that they're kind of scaling back and moving more towards the the east side and they want to maybe split the country in half. So I, I, is this what you're hearing too? And do you think that there's obviously no one wants World War Three, but if one of those missiles accidentally hits Poland. I don't, I don't know. It seems kind of sketchy to me, but I would love to get your thoughts on, on that. I mean, I, I think overall Putin didn't expect this to be so difficult for him. Crimea uh, was easy for him, right? Cause he just like walked in and took yeah, it. Yeah. Well, they already had a military base in Crimea. So the soldiers just decided to go out on the streets. And I mean, and like, you know, people that live in Crimea now, especially after this long time period, like they, they actually probably want to be part of Russia or at least, thought they wanted to be part of Russia because the ones that didn't left. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that he's going to try to split the country um, and have like a corridor, corridor to Crimea from inland Russia because they actually built like one of the largest bridges from Russia to Crimea within the last eight years. But I, I think he wants to have the, that passage way. And I, I think that's probably what his goal is right now. In terms of World War III, I mean, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I thought so at first, but for now, I, I don't think Russia's strong enough. And it kind of like the, this whole war has kind of been embarrassing for them because everyone was so scared of Russia. But it turns out their military is pretty weak and pretty stupid. So Go, Echoing what you're saying, I was like, oh, crap. Like they're, These people are going to be in trouble because Russia's got such a big military. But it turns out that... There was no why, right? If you ever read that book, uh, Start With Why with like Simon Sinek, like, yeah, I have. Ha- having a why is very important. And then sending people over to, you know, from Russia when their heritage is somewhat similar, as you were saying, for killing these people for no reason when trying to find some Nazis that there might be some some Nazis within that area. That would be like our equivalent of like Proud Boys or something like that, like where they're taking one faction of nasty people and then blowing it up into the whole country. So yeah. I, I look at all that stuff and I'm just like, wow, like, yeah, logistically too. Like, I didn't realize that logistics was such a big part of war too. And it's interesting that a lot of these people, it seems like their logistics was jacked up with like not having fuel, having crappy tires. It just seemed like a whole shit show of like reasons for why this wasn't working. And I don't know, sure. I got to get, I got to give it to the Ukrainians for just, yeah. uh, really just standing up for themselves and got doing... big balls. I'm not sure if I can say that. On the podcast. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> They, they do. Zelensky's doing a good job too of just like really using social media, like what, what you're doing to just rally his people as well, which I thought was yeah. interesting. So I'm wondering too, if like someone will just uh, eventually, if someone within his Putin's inner circle will rise up against them. Cause it seems like there is dissent going on with like that news anchor holding up the sign. And then you have all these other people that, you know, the oligarchs that are getting their ship seized. At what point do these people just say this is enough, you know, or are wondering yeah. what they're thinking in Russia? I don't think so, to be honest. 
I think he's got a large support in Russia and he's, he's really good at propaganda and controlling the narrative in Russia mm-hmm. with the media. So I, th- I think um, the majority of the Russians that live in Russia do support the war and do support him. So Interesting. They just, I, I think it's more like creating division uh, where these Russians probably uh, hate the West more now than they did earlier. So it, it works to put to Putin's uh, favor to yeah to to create such tensions, especially in it's like us versus them kind of narrative. Um, so I don't yeah. I don't think that Putin's going to get taken out of Russia or any of that stuff. So interesting too, because it seems like they would be the Russian people would be upset because like the ruble has crashed. A lot of American I don't know if they care or not. It seems like they would care that like some of these places are leaving their country like in droves, you know, like they're going to end up with, I was reading, I was watching actually something saying like, how could they survive like a, a tech crisis? Because a lot of like the microchips and a lot of things won't be flowing as much to Russia and Boeing is not going to be sending plane parts. So there, there seems like to be a lot of other problems that are going to result and not even being able to travel. That seems like it would piss a lot of people off, right? If like you're in the States and they're like, oh, you can't, you can't go anywhere. You have to stay within the States. I mean, I, sure. I think that- Sorry, continue. I don't want to- don't No, no, no. no. I, I was just curious to see if like, if, if those, if I'm off by thinking some of these things. So I think it's a little bit overblown because China's for sure going to be helping out Russia a lot. And they're going to, they're going to make a lot of money. It's going to be really good for Russia, China's economy to, to help Russia out. Yeah, they're That's friends. One. And then second- thing is like so serbia is very close with uh the russian government and just russia in general they, they have like a brotherly bond and i have a lot of people that follow me from serbia and it seems like they're all pro-russian and it's been kind of nuts so like air serbia has like i think tripled their amount of flights and they use like their large boeings from serbia to moscow daily and st petersburg and so it's like if, if you're in moscow now you could fly through istanbul you could fly through uh, Belgrade, Serbia, you can fly through Dubai. There's still ways to get into Europe and there's ways to get out of Russia. Like, and so Air Serbia is taking advantage of the opportunity because they didn't close airspace for Russia. No, no one from the EU closed airspace for Air Serbia. So Air Serbia is flying directly from Belgrade to, to, to Russia, I think three or four times a day, if not more. So it's, it's like, like a back door almost in Serbia. You know, what's yeah. funny is my wife is actually half Serbian and half Russian. She doesn't agree with anything going on with the war or anything like that. But yeah, yeah I didn't, I, I read somewhere too that Serbia was pro uh, Russia for whatever reason. That's interesting that, so they're basically China and Serbia are sort of helping out. I know China didn't well, condemn yeah. the, the war or anything, which tells me that clearly, <laughs> and him and she were like, basically like, you know, no, there's no amount of what mountains that we can't move together or whatever they're saying. Yeah, yeah. So China and Serbia, I mean, Dubai or like United Arab Emirates, same with them. Like a lot of people like are either neutral or supporting Russia. Sure, it will hurt the Russian economy, uh, but they're going to find ways, backdoors to, to, to make it work for them. So it's not, it's not as drastic as I think as as the Western media likes to play it out. Yeah. And then it doesn't seem, I mean, these people in Ukraine, they don't necessarily want what's going on though. Right. Like as far as like, they don't want to be part of Russia. You know, even if like someone had relatives in Russia, like the Ukrainian people have their own identity, their own culture, their own history, their own language. Sure. They have ties to, to Russia, but they still want to be an independent country that makes their own independent decisions 
I would say, yeah, definitely. They definitely don't want it. Um, even if they have, you know, even if their grandfather or grandparents were Russian, that doesn't mean they don't want Ukraine to be Ukraine. Russia just wants to control that, that part of the world. They want to have firm control and they were losing, they've been losing control over it for a long time. And it got to a point where they, they had enough and they're like, they, they attack. So. It's interesting too, because it seems like I've watched uh, the press secretary of Russia talk about like, he's really, I mean, I give the guy credit for either he believes his own narrative or he's just they really good. <laughs> yeah, because I was just, because yeah, they were someone was grilling him about civilian casualties and hitting civilian buildings all throughout the country, and yeah. he was just basically like, "Oh no, that's like people in in Ukraine that are warlords that have like guns, and that's why we're bombing those buildings." And it, it's just interesting because the the news anchors like, "No, we've seen hundreds of hours of this this footage, and we've seen it with our eyes." So I don't know if that's like, I mean, to me it seems like there's clearly they're bombing buildings and. They, they claim it's like Western hysteria, but like it, it clearly is, there is some war crimes that looks like going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely really good strong propaganda from Russia, you know, like the KGB and Russia, they're definitely like, they do what's, what's best for them and whatever they have to do to cover the tracks or the lie or manipulate the people they will do because it's for the people. It's for the good of the country. It doesn't matter. Like they'll justify killing people will justify doing anything as long as it's good for the country and whatever, whoever defines what's good for the country kind of takes the lead on that, you know, like this size. So yeah, I watched yeah. this one, one last point and then uh, I'll let you get going. But there's this one uh, guy that I was watching on YouTube called Navalny. That was like this, this, yeah, uh, yeah they, he basically got, he was poisoned and the, the plane, I guess someone in the FSB poisoned him and the, the plane had to like, land in a different country or a different state to get him to survive and then he gets some guy on youtube to from the fsb to basically describe like why the mission didn't get completed and he gets into detail about like i don't know if you've seen this but he's like hey like why didn't why didn't uh navalny die and he's like well if the plane didn't the plane didn't land there he would have actually got killed and the it was just terrifying to see that that guy got well for it was interesting to see that he tricked the the guy into telling him i mean he knew that something was up that the guy that was the agent but it was interesting i don't know if you've seen that video but it was it was fascinating yeah Yeah, because he was speaking (laughs) to him in like russian and just yeah now he's i guess like locked up so sounds really terrifying that was a really interesting conversation I, i appreciate you kind of filling me in on everything going on in in ukraine and it was really fun to talk to you about um freight caviar if people want to reach out for I guess advertising on freight caviar or just reaching out to you personally. How do, how do they contact you? Follow me on Instagram and message me. You know, it's, I guess it's the best way. I guess try to take on as many people. But if, if you really want to do advertising and you like my page, you could hit me up on Instagram. Awesome. Well, it was great chatting with you. Likewise, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for sticking around to the end. It's always inspiring to me learning from all these other people within the community. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Paul over at Freight Caviar and my thoughts and prayers go out to the people in Ukraine and I hope this war ends sooner than later. And if you do enjoy our content, please make sure to follow us or subscribe on Spotify or Apple. And if you could leave us a review that helps with the algorithm as well and would also help us to continue to make more content. Appreciate it.